Hey there, e-commerce enthusiasts. Let me tell you about a game changer in shipping, ShipStation. It's the ultimate platform for simplifying your shipping process. With ShipStation, you can easily import, manage, and ship your orders in no time. It integrates seamlessly with your favorite e-commerce platforms and carriers, ensuring a smooth workflow. Gain valuable insights with their powerful analytics and reporting tools. Say goodbye to shipping headaches. Visit milwaukeemafia.com slash ship and level up your shipping game today. Thank you for tuning in to Milwaukee Mafia podcast. Please note that the audio for this episode has been updated. However, it is still not to our standards. Please note that our more current episodes have much better quality. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy the episode. You're listening to Milwaukee Mafia, your weekly podcast dose of Wisconsin Mafia and true crime history. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode. This is Eric Waltrigans. I'm Gavin Schmidt. And Gavin, what kind of topic you got for us today? I got a mafia topic. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So this week is called Alberto Speciali and the Mystery Letters. And if I'm saying Speciali wrong, I apologize. Alberto Speciali and his father worked as home distillers in Sicily. They ordered products through the National Chemical Laboratory of Milan that allowed them to mix powder, sugar, and water with their orders to make a variety of liquors. So he left Sicily, went through France, and he sailed to New York City. With him was Gina Marino, who claimed to be his wife but wasn't. According to the ship's manifest, Speciali intended to meet up with the Marici brothers in Chicago, where he would continue his trade of making liquor. But tragedy struck before he could attain this goal. So Antonio and Agostino Marici, the Marici brothers, are yeast and sugar suppliers in Chicago. They have a macaroni factory. And guess what? They get killed. (laughs) They are killed in January 1926 while out driving another automobile driven by Ecola the Eagle Baldelli came alongside them and they were filled with a volley of bullets. Shortly before their deaths, both men had contributed to the defense fund of cop killers Giovanni Scalisi and Alberto Anselmi, who, again, we kind of talked about last time, these two guys who shot police officers and they were raising money for them. According to Capone biographer John Kobler, the Marici's death was ordered by Orazio the Scourge Tropia. These are all great names. <laughs> the man behind the defense fund, he was allegedly targeting people who did not donate, or in some cases did not donate enough. Not coincidentally, those people targeted were often people with strong ties to the Jenna gang. As you may recall from last time, one of the victims was Henry Spingola, a brother-in-law to Angelo Jenna. Two weeks after the Maricis are killed, the bodies of the Eagle and the Scourge (laughs) would turn up lifeless. The Scourge was hit by a shotgun blast from a passing vehicle, and the Eagle was beaten, kicked, hacked, and shot before being dumped in an alley's ash heap. Another member of this gang was soon thereafter found in a ditch with a bullet between his eyes. He tried to block the bullet with his hand, which in two fingers were were cut off his hand from the bullet. Did not help. Somebody had found out their dirty secret. They were keeping the defense money for themselves. So Speciali did not go work for these guys because they are dead. Instead, he goes to Milwaukee. While there, he's received letters from his father, his sister. He would write back to them. He was a good family member. 
He also kept in contact with his wife, Anna, his actual wife, not the woman he came to America with. Rumors quickly spread that he was involved with a young woman in America. After being in America for only four months, Alberto Speciali was shot by two gunmen at the corner of Lyon and Jackson Streets in Milwaukee. Someone phoned the police and Sergeant Louis Deedon, who we've talked about in the past, uh, this is the guy who can speak Italian, he dispatched an ambulance and also sent detectives to investigate. They found five thirty-eight automatic revolver bullets that had pierced Speciali's body and blood splattered in the snow. Bartolo D'Amato, a cousin of Speciali who lived with him, was found and questioned. He had come to America from Santa Flavia. Was Bartolo D'Amato, was he a questionable guy? I don't know. D'Amato told the police that Speciali had been in a store on Lyon Street, but left to go to the grocery store on Jackson Street to buy a loaf of bread. He bought the bread, left, and then was shot while leaving the store. Witnessing the shooting was Chuck Scafidi, a 14-year-old newspaper boy. He described the assailants as two Italians who were wearing gray overcoats and dark caps. How long was this guy in Milwaukee before he was shot? Not long. It doesn't even seem like he had time to make enemies yeah. <laughs> to get shot. I don't know what the exact time frame is, but it's only like two months. It's pretty short. Wow. Speciali was taken to the hospital, and on his body was found a single $5 bill, but he died. He did not make it. He left behind his wife, two children, and his parents. Detectives searched his residence, and they found 35 gallons of raw alcohol, which at this point in time would have been illegal. They found three cases of synthetic three-star Hennessy, which I'm not entirely sure what that means, but I take that to mean it's like it's probably fake. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Along with labels, bottle covers, and bottle trimmings. These items were confiscated by the police. In a drawer, the detectives found an envelope addressed to Antonio Marici, one of the two guys killed in Chicago. A taxi driver reported that on the night of the murder, he picked up two Italians at the corner of Water and Grand. Grand is now today Wisconsin Avenue. They were brought to the Western Union office and then the Union Depot, saying they had to catch a train to Chicago. Police checked with the Western Union and the train, and they, both of them said, we didn't have any Italians here. Vito Marino, a brother of Gina Marino, a young woman who came over with speciality on the boat. Okay. There's going to be a lot of Marinos in this, so it, it gets <laughs> confusing. He said that his sister was brought to Milwaukee by speciality. Around Christmas, she heard from her husband, she actually had a husband, uh, Liberio. And then she left to go live with him in New York City. Vito Moreno said that he did not know the husband's address or even what he looked like. They had never met. Detective Deaton talked to a local pharmacist. He said the speciality had stopped by about three days ago and told him that he intended to do business on a big scale with the Marici brothers, which obviously didn't happen, and the Catalano brothers of Milwaukee, who were like uh, vegetable traders. He had apparently not yet heard that the Maricis had been slain if he had was telling people he was going to go work for them. <laughs> Especially he said that he was going to deal in olive oil, tomato paste, and tuna fish. He then said that he heard that Speciali had a wife and two children in Sicily, but was also having an affair with Gina Marino. When he was discovered, he fled Sicily with Gina and came to America with her. The pharmacists believe that the two gunmen to be none other than the husband and the husband's friend. Now, this is a very knowledgeable pharmacist. <laughs> yeah, apparently. Yeah. I don't know how he's heard half of these things, but he's got a whole story here. None other than Pete Guardalobene, the son of Vito Guardalobene, and now uh, kind of the head of the mob in Milwaukee, he called the police station directly. He asked to talk to Detective Deaton. He said, don't pay any attention to what Vito Marino is telling you. He's feeble-minded. He doesn't know what he's talking about. I don't know what he thought that Vito had told him, because at this point, I don't think there's anything that weird. But Detective Deaton wrote in his police report, quote, 
Knowing Guadalabene as well as I do, I construed this conversation to mean just the contrary of what he told me. So the implication there being that if he's saying don't listen to Vito Marino, that means you Vito Marino is probably, probably telling you the truth. <laughs> Which I actually think that if you're going to take the time to call somebody, that it's a good possibility that what he's telling you is not something he wants you to hear. Yeah. You know. But I do find that amusing that he makes us a notice before he's like, yeah, I, I know Gordo Levene. He's, he's a liar. <laughs> An anonymous letter came into the police station saying that, quote, the Slayers were hiding out above a barber shop on Van Buren. The note was signed by a citizen. Upon raiding the place, the police discovered two empty 30-gallon stills, a cooler, 15 barrels of mash, but no killers hiding out. The police took the, these things away, but they didn't end up charging the guy because that wasn't what they were there to do. Oh. So... It was kind of seen as unfair to to arrest him for that. Letters found in Speciali's room were shuffled up by the police and were given to Mike Fatucci for translation. Mike Fatucci being kind of like, again, the opposite of the Cordelobane. It's like he's the good guy in the Italian neighborhood. Deedon spoke Italian, but apparently he could not read Italian. Also found was a telegram addressed to Speciali from New York dated December 6th. This is, again, this is February now when he's killed. The telegram reads, Scampolo discovered your residence... Hasten Gina's departure. Otherwise, you will be disturbed. The warning was signed by Santa Marino. Possibly the same Santa Marino from the counterfeiting episode. Not sure. It's actually a fairly common name. Who Scampolo was, nobody knows. Everybody sort of assumed it was a nickname, but who that meant, don't know. Scampolo, for those who are curious, is an Italian word, which in English basically just means something that's left over, a leftover piece of something, which doesn't tell me anything <laughs> about what that could mean as a nickname. So, no clue. Officer Arnold Harris was making his rounds for the city's hotels. Apparently, this is just something they did, we'll go to all the hotels. He went to the Midford Hotel, and he found from speaking to the people there that an Italian and his wife from Chicago were registered there. They had been there since the morning of the murder, and they were still there now. They said they would be staying a few weeks. The name on the register was Tony Construri, which, as far as I can tell, is not a real name. His description, according to the hotel employees, matched that of the description given by the paperboy. The hotel employee said that he appears to be a very tough customer, but he's very nicely dressed. The police officer did not uh, do anything about this at this time. He said he didn't really want the presence of the police to scare him. He just sort of made note of it. Don't think anything really ever comes to this. Now, Detective Deaton thinks, well, maybe this murder has something to do with members of a Chicago alcohol society. One letter to speciality that he found was translated to read that he must give these men 75% of his alcohol profits or, quote, your body will be hacked to pieces and rolled in the sand. So he did find time to make some enemies, huh? Another letter said, quote, Either join the Alcohol Society at once and pay the initiation fee of $5,000 and comply with our other rules or quit the alcohol business entirely. Can you talk a little bit? Do you know what this alcohol society is? There's nothing I know that's actually called like the Alcohol <laughs> Society. But uh, my assumption is, is that these are the local mob guys who are dealing in booze and speciality is not one of their guys. And they're saying, come under our umbrella, let us get a cut, or something bad is going to happen to you, basically. Yeah. If you're dealing in goods that the mob is dealing in, in their territory, if you're not one of them, yeah, they want you to pay what's called like a street tax. You, mm -hmm. know, you, you pay a percentage to them. Then they don't care if you do it because they're still making money off of it. And of course, the funny thing about that is usually they target other Italians. 
I mean, there were all kinds of people in Milwaukee making their own booze. I mean, it, it's a German city. There's booze everywhere. Right. But they weren't going after those people. Which is interesting. Yeah. It's, yeah. They, they just kind of target the Italians, which kind of makes sense at this point because most people at this point didn't really know what a mafia was. But other people from Sicily would know immediately who they were dealing with. So, like, so if you said we're the mob and you need to pay us a tax, yeah. a German guy is going to be like, I don't know what you're talking about. Right, a, German, no a German guy is either going to ignore you or go to the police. A, okay. Yeah. But yeah, if you go to the Italian guy, the Italians at this point, they, they don't trust the police. And, you know, they know. They know what the mafia is capable of. And a lot of times they probably know who the members are. You know, I don't think that, even though it's secret, I don't think it's like that secret that people didn't know. All right, so Detective Deaton tries another route. This time he goes to New York City. While he's there, he sends a telegram back to Milwaukee saying, Take Vito Marino into custody. Keep him as a material witness. We need to find out everything he knows, get some addresses from him. We got to figure out who's all involved in all of this. So Vito Marino, not suspected of actually doing anything. They're just going to hold him until he tells how to find everybody else. So the chief responded to the detective saying that Vito Marino was now in custody, but his attorneys were attempting to have him released right away. The prisoner claimed that he did not know any of the people mentioned in Deaton's telegram. He's like, I can't help you find any of these people except Santo Marino. That one he knew. So he was able to pass on that address. Deaton wrote another letter to the chief from New York. This time he said he found... A rooming house where Speciali had apparently stayed back previous to Christmas, and after he left, his mail was collected by a man with a mustache and horn-rimmed glasses, who claimed to be Speciali's cousin. When checking up on the telegram sent from Santa Marino, Deaton spoke with a postal employee who actually remembered Marino sending it, and he said that Marino had a small black mustache and shell-rimmed glasses. Coincidence or not? A lot of these turn out to be dead ends, just if this hasn't been clear by now. <laughs> A diary was found and transcribed with the names taken note of. Deaton said that, and I apologize because this is kind of a dirty word. You shouldn't say this. Deaton said that, quote, All I learned is what I knew for a long time. And that is, a WAP is a WAP. Whether he is a laborer, a banker, or a policeman, Santo Marino was found and he claimed not to know of Speciali's murder. He didn't even know that he had been killed. Deaton confiscated numerous letters and telegrams from Marino's room, which indicated to Deaton that Vito Marino knew every single one of the addresses that he said he had not known. With Santo Marino's aid, Deaton found Gina Marino, who is, again, Vito's sister and the woman who Speciali brought over. I don't know what the connection to Santo is. Found her, and they found that her husband had actually been at work every single day for the last several days, last week. So he was definitely not the killer. So ruled out his jealous husband, not the guy. Looking for any new leads, and at this point more or less grasping at straws, Deaton was told of another man by Gina. This was supposed to be a cousin of her husband's who often carried a gun. He had not been seen in the past two weeks and had a bad reputation. Nothing comes of Of course. Finally, Deaton sends his last telegram. He says, Gina states that she was ordered out of Milwaukee by Pete Guardalabene and Joe Amato. He says, there was no New York connection at all. The husband angle was just a red heron. Their best hope had turned up nothing. And at this point, they decided to close the case. So this is less than two weeks after he's killed. They're done. They're they're not looking into it any further. So now I'm really curious. Yeah. A lot of the other murders and things that we've tried, there's just not been a whole lot of that. Like the police will round up a bunch of people and talk to them and try to figure out. And then they're like, well, we don't know what happened. Mm -hmm. This one, I mean, they're traveling across the country to get information. Yes. Is this a sign that our records are getting better at this point or yes okay you figured it out yes 
Okay, so that's just all it is, is that there's just a whole much more stuff for you to look at when in researching this as opposed yes. to the previous one. Yes, and I and also at this point, because they have Detective Deaton on the case, I think there's less of that rounding random people up because, because they have a guy who can actually talk to, to them. Be, actually speak Italian. Yeah, whereas before they round them all up, they'd have to get a translator. It's a whole big mess. Now he can go around and do like the door-to-door thing that police officers do. So they don't really have to do the way they were doing it. But you are right. Yes, this, this is the first Milwaukee murder, I believe. I mean, since we're going in order, uh, this must be the first one that I actually have the record for. Interesting. I don't know that you said this throughout the episode. When is this? What year is this? I think it's 1926. Did you say that? Yeah, this is 1926. Okay. I just wanted to make sure that was clarified because I wasn't sure if that had been said. Okay. Do you have more to that? There's a little bit more. There is a little bit more. Tiny bit. So Speciali's wife, Anna, never remarried. Uh, She ends up joining her husband many, many years later in the Holy Cross Cemetery in Milwaukee. Uh, They did have two children, a son, John, who stayed in Sicily, and a daughter, Anita, who lived in Milwaukee. For all I know, there are grandkids who are still alive. I don't know that one way or the other. If there are and they want to reach out, please do. Decades later, an informant told the FBI that this murder was personal. It wasn't business. It was ordered by mob boss Joe Amato, who wanted Speciali out of the way. This is actually sort of similar to what Gina had told the police at the time, that she was ordered out of the city by Joe Amato in the Guadalabanes. So that kind of lines up. The informant even went so far as to identify the gunmen. He said that they were Vito Balistrieri and Joe Gamina. Joe Gamina uh, will come up at a later point. He might have been mentioned by now, but he will come up later. He gets be more important later on. Vito Balistrieri, this is actually a different spelling of Balistrieri than our usual Balistrieri. He is related to the Kansas City Balistrieri family, which is entirely different spelling. Still mob guys. <laughs> In Kansas City, the mob guys there are Buster Balistrieri and Big Jim Balistrieri, spelled different. But to make this even more confusing for people, there's a lot of marriages between the two. So, so between the Balistrieri, Kansas City, and the other spelling Balistrieri in Milwaukee. Yes. So Vito, so Vito Balistrieri, who lives in Milwaukee, but as family in Kansas City, marries Rose Balistrieri, spelt the Milwaukee way. She's the aunt of the future Milwaukee mob boss, Frank Balistrieri. And later on, Frank's brother, Peter Balistrieri, the Milwaukee spelling, marries one of the Kansas City. Balistrieri's. So, all interconnected. Did the Milwaukee Mafia do a lot of things with the Kansas City Mafia that there is this connection? Or is it just literally that like they have family down there and somehow they meet? At this point in time, I'm not sure, but it definitely becomes a strong connection later on, yes. By the 1960s, they're actually like trading members and things like that. They're sending people from one city to the other to do jobs. Interesting. Well, we have something to look forward to when we get to 1960, huh? Mm-hmm. And that is all I have. I have one more note, but if you had a question, I'll take the question first. No, go ahead with the note. Uh, the only other note I have is in the police file, there are actually a number of the letters that are mentioned in the this story. I don't think it's all of them, but it is some of them. And despite the fact that I I researched organized crime and largely Sicilian organized crime, I can't read Italian worth of crap. So so if anybody out there can read Italian, I can send you the letters. I have them as a PDF. I would love to hear what's in them. I know 
part of what's in them because it's transcribed in the police record. But I don't know if that's everything, if there's other stuff that they didn't translate into English. And even if it's just, you know, how's your family doing? How was Christmas? I would love to know what's actually in there. So definitely reach out if you're somebody who can read Italian because, yeah, I, I barely can. And it doesn't help that it's in handwriting. So Good segue. Why yeah. don't you throw out some contact info? It's either MilwaukeeMafia at gmail.com or you can find me at MilwaukeeMafia.com. On Facebook, it's Facebook.com slash MilwaukeeMafia. So consistent. If you enjoy listening to our podcast, please go to your favorite podcast player and give us a rating. Yes. Only if it's a good rating. Yeah, only if, if it's, it's a good rating. If it's not a good rating, please just email us and tell us what we're doing wrong. We know we're amateurs. We know we don't have fancy music. But if you like the information you're hearing, if you think it's valuable, give us a good rating. Yes, we would appreciate it. I think that wraps this episode up. That's it. All right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. And we'll be back next week with another episode. Have a great one. Thank you very much. Thanks for tuning in to the Milwaukee Mafia podcast. Join us next week for another look back at Wisconsin Mafia and true crime history.